Hey everybody, welcome back to the Lucky Dog Podcast. This is your host, Elias Rouse. Today we're discussing The Mandalorian. Season wrap-up. For starters, I'm just recording this uh, between episodes 1 through 6, and then I'm going to attach the 7 and 8 and final impressions to this uh, podcast. So, as of this first half of the recording, I have not seen the last two episodes, uh, 7 and 8, but... We are going to talk about The Mandalorian 1 through 6 first, and just initial impressions, you know, should you watch it, what the hell is The Mandalorian, uh, that type of thing. Um, okay, so this podcast is sponsored by EliasRoushMedia.com, photo, video, digital media, EliasRoushMedia.com. After the stories of Jango and Boba Fett, another warrior emerges in the Star Wars universe. The Mandalorian is set after the fall of the Empire and before the emergence of the First Order. We have the travels of a lone gunfighter in the outer reaches of the galaxy far from the authority of the New Republic. Why wouldn't you say far, far away? There's... It's right there. It's written in the fucking title. Damn it. <laughs> um, so yeah, the the Mandalorian. It's uh, basically following uh, the lone bounty hunter, uh, played by Pedro Pascal as the Mandalorian, and it has a pretty uh, stellar cast from uh, when it comes down to it. But this cast is not exactly always seen in there. Now, anyone that doesn't know Pedro Pascal, if you know Game of Thrones, he was the Viper. Um, or he was in Narcos. Or if you've seen him in other things, you might recognize him in uh, Kingsman most recently. He was also in uh, The Equalizer 2 and The Great Wall, among other things. Um, but yeah, I like him the most for being in Game of Thrones and Narcos specifically. Um Pedro Pascal is wearing a mask. I'm just going to say this. For the first six episodes, at least. I don't know if he takes off his mask at all seven, in the seventh or eighth episodes. Um, from what I can hear, he is, he is not, at least in the seventh. Um, so, one major problem with this series, some people are going to find, is connecting with someone under a mask. And I completely sympathize with you. I I can see how that would bother you. I, it bothered me watching Force Awakens having Kylo Ren under a mask 90% of the time. Um, and it takes away from a lot of the uh, relatability you would have with the main character. So uh, there's, you know, like in the original Star Wars, we had uh, characters such as Darth Vader were completely covered. And I talked about this a little bit in the Rise of Skywalker review, but how important that... Uh, the direction of that character was. First of all, the mask was uh, the mask design allowed for you to see more of a face in it. And as of right now with the Mandalorian, it's very uh, postmodern um, in a way. Um, there's no eye holes or anything like that. Nothing moves on the mask. It's all body movement and uh, stat, you know, blocking and stuff like that for the character. Um, personally, it doesn't bother me that he's under the helmet for the first six episodes. I think that having Pedro Pascal's kind of, uh, as this, you know, man without a, 
man with no name, kind of like this Clint Eastwood kind of space cowboy in a way. You, you know, back in the day, we had the Clint Eastwood Westerns. Um, so now we have the postmodern space Westerns, I guess. Um, and I like the idea. The, the execution with this specific series so far has been that there's been a lot of uh, story building at the beginning. You know, tells the bounty hunter you got to go complete this mission, and when that mission's completed, you you know you can get uh, you know money. You can you can get paid, but normally with these things, that mission is not completed or something changes along the way, and that's what happens with the Mandalorian. And so, without going into too many spoilers at first, um, yeah, they have. A great setup at the first episode and then the subsequent episodes after that seem to only touch on that main the a storyline we're just going to call it the main storyline the a storyline um very lightly and i don't know if that's the type of television show you know i'm into these days generally when i watch television i want to see a show that is continually giving me more story, more character development, more, uh, you know, unraveling the plot. And The Mandalorian almost is shot episodically, which means I you could almost skip a previous episode and just jump in the next one, which I personally don't believe that's how I... I, I don't like watching television that way. Um, but the way that this is shot in the world that they're creating, the cinematography, the look, the sound, the feel, um, very much is uh, expanding the world of Star Wars, which is something that they desperately needed. You know, Star Wars is such a massive uh, media, medium, sorry. Um, sorry, Star Wars is not a medium. Star, you know, the the franchise is so large that it needs these television shows and these, you know, uh things for people to consume so that it expands the world for us and not just the Skywalker saga nine movie series. I mean, we just covered the Skywalker series on the, the review and, um, you know, mixed, not going to lie, mixed opinions on it. Um, you know, go check out the review for more, more of that. But, um, overall, um, the Mandalorian, is almost a Trojan horse for one of the other characters that are introduced in this. I can't really, I don't want to talk about it yet, but, um, yeah, let's, um, let's discuss episode by episode real quick. I'm not going to go into deep, deep, uh, detail about it, more or less just impressions on it. Um, first episode is very much introducing the Mandalorian. You kind of find out a little bit more about, um, his culture the first three episodes very much feel that of a whole um he picks up uh the child which is referred to as from the world as just called him baby yoda and everyone has been uh memifying i guess baby yoda just doing this that and the other and that is one of the cutest most surreal looking puppets I've ever seen and I you know everybody wants a baby Yoda for Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa or whatever the hell you celebrate um <laughs> so I was just like damn you know it was like uh 
seeing them stick the landing and inserting this character in there really worked. And in the way they used it in the second episode, the Baby Yoda character, you 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 feel like okay, this is where it's gonna go. And I didn't think that every other episode was gonna be kind of you know side mission the show, and it's starting to feel like that from you know go fetch this egg to go give it to the Jabba's or whatever the hell those things were. I forgot what the in episode two, he, what he's fighting. I like the execution. I love the fucking music. I think the theme in this and the atmosphere fucking rocks and rules. And most of the episodes are, I think, composed by the guy that did the Black Panther um, theme. But I think they they look and sound amazing, in my opinion. Um, and they're still using practical effects and, and many... And it looks like maybe miniature models as well on some of the majors... Uh, stuff major uh battles and and some sort of stuff like that like they used to back in the day but anyways um episode two was one of my favorites just from the cinematography standpoint the child um and you learn a little bit more about baby yoda we still know i had no idea that we had no idea that there was no name for the yoda species i guess that i just assumed that we already knew um Episode 3, The Sin, is kind of like a retread of Episode 1 again, and it shows the a little bit of the Mandalorian and, you know, why he hates dro- dro- droids. You know, they his his people were you know, taken out, and he's been picked up by the Mandalorians, and there's, uh, uh, you know, kind of this big sect of them, and they kind of hide underground, and at the very end there's this really big battle and with Carl Weathers and it was excellently done I think episode three is probably one of the best executed of the past few um episodes of the Mandalorian um it did feel a little bit video gamey again with the uh th- the way that it was shot you know trade this in to get an upgrade on your armor that kind of thing chapter four sanctuary that was the one that was directed by uh Bryce Dallas Howard and it, this was the one that became the most noticeable of an episode that felt like it was too short. It was 41 minutes, and it's basically you know, um, the, the classic Western of the, uh, the cowboy walks into the, uh, the city or village or something that's being attacked by these others, and he needs to train them to get them you know up and big and to... You know, to, to fight back against them, and we've seen this done many times in movies, and this was basically that with all the you know slow, monotonous parts removed because it you know um, had all of the high points of that type of uh, movie, but um, I don't know, it became kind of predictable in a way, and. Uh, was that an? It's not an at dad. It with the the two, the two legs. I completely forgot what they're called. That I know the Star Wars guys are gonna get on me for this, but um, but it had the red eyes, in the chapter four when it was attacking the uh, the villagers. I did think that was kind of cool. You know the way they they lit that up at night. Um, the gunslinger, honestly. I could barely remember what the hell happened during the gunslinger. It was such a boring ass episode. 
The Mandalorian helps a rookie bounty hunter who is in over his head, which, if I remember correctly, um, Mandalorian keeps leaving Baby Yoda, who might be Force-sensitive, who we see trying to use the Force several times throughout the series. Um, actually, we do know he's Force-sensitive because he lifted the rhino at the second episode. Um, but... The gunslinger, you know, helps out Bobby Cannavale's younger, sorry, Bobby Cannavale's son, who's the actor in that, and they end up trying, they they link up together to go take out uh, Fennec Shand, who's supposed to be a badass in this, but I I don't know, something, uh, she she gets shot immediately, and uh, what is it, is J- Jake Cannavale? as Toro Kalkian. I don't know what the fuck this guy's name is. Um, He was just okay in in that part, I thought. They didn't really... The direction was not that great, in my opinion. I don't know. Just, uh, once again, predictable. And that plot line's not picked up again, so I I don't know. It feels like they just go week by week. Who are we fighting this week? Who are we fighting this week? And it feels like was it chapter three leaves leaves so many questions open regarding just the Mandalorian and you know the people that he's around and uh, the bounty hunters that are trying to get him for the first few episodes. Like, I feel like this season would work so much more smoother if they would have just stuck to like some sort of Mandalorians trying to escape with Baby Yoda kind of thing, and. There's only, like, sprinkles of the main storyline throughout the majority of the season. Like, we only have one or two bounty hunters uh, trying to attack them in the first couple episodes. And then there's this massive battle of them all. And the way that massive battle is, like, executed, it's like everyone's getting this John Wick-style, like, beeper code of who you gotta, like, who you gotta get. And that was so cool in the way it was executed. And I was like, shit, this is legit. And we'd never got anything like that in regular Star Wars, in my, from what I can recollect. Um, but yeah, so I was, I, I still am a little bit just hesitant to being full on. This is the bee's knees because honestly, it's not the bee's knees. It's like they have some really great episodes, some really great directed episodes. Um, the main character can be a hard, little bit hard to relate to because of this. Uh, casualness to to say hardly anything he you know and he doesn't have this presence like Darth Vader had you know the I don't want him to have a Darth Vader presence but when you think of the character of Darth Vader you know the 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 way he's he walks the way he's embodied he's this tall mounting you know figure with this breathing apparatus and this voice. I mean, there's just so many things about the, the, the Vader character that I keep going back to saying how well of an executed character that was. Um, and it's because of all of those things. It's, you know, it's not just because how he looked. It's not just because how he sounded. It's not just because of the way he was shot. It was all of those things. And so that's those are all the things you really need to you know take notes on when creating a character with no face. Um or facial features, really, honestly. Um, because the Mandalorian, I wouldn't say, has many. So, let's uh, talk about Chapter 6 real quick. The Mandalorian joins a crew of mission missionaries on a dangerous mission. 
Um, this was one of my favorite episodes. Specifically, we have uh, uh, Bill Burr's Mayfield's, Bill Burr's Boston's ass uh, <laughs> as Mayfield, uh, Natalia Tenna as Zine. We know her from uh, being in Harry Potter and I believe Game of Thrones as Osha. Osha. Um, Clancy Brown is Berg. You know him as Mr. Krabs. Um, he looks like Hellboy in this. And uh, Richard Aoade as Zero. I believe that's the, the droid in this. We know him from uh, Suburbicon and some other bullshit. Um, television, the ice cream. The ice cream. Sorry, the uh, Lego movie. He was the ice cream cone. I don't know. He's a, he's a big uh, voice actor. And, uh, yeah, so I think Chapter 6 was one of the best executed episodes, mostly because it had the scope of a 40-minute episode, and it was turned into a heist, and then it turned into, like, an action-adventure escape film, and it's executed at a very high level, has some, you know, amazing actors, and uh, the story was compelling as hell. And satisfying as well. You know, there's a couple twists that make it look like all of these characters look like they have been killed or shot in some sort of manner. But then there's this twist at the very end that you realize that he's just set them in the uh, in a jail cell and he leaves them. Um, I was like, damn, okay. And uh, <laughs> and then the Mandalorian uh, drops some shit off. He drops one of the the people that one of the guys that they are getting at this station or something like that and he i don't know leaves a tracker that has the republic go and destroy that entire like station or something like that so it's like what the fuck like that was intense and uh apparently those um people at the end the those were directors at the end of uh chapter six that went and destroyed that base i think it was like deborah chow and um uh, maybe Rick Fumiyama? No, it wasn't Rick Fumiyama. It was, it was. I think it was some writers and other directors that were in in the cockpits. I don't remember who it all was, but uh, pretty cool cameos. So, um, yeah, let's jump into chapter seven and eight. So I admit that uh, I lost the Mandalorian audio file that I originally recorded for I think episodes one through six and so it took me about 10 months to find it and then season two just dropped today so I was like oh my gosh I gotta release it for the pod podcast and everything so um, let's talk about chapter seven and eight before um, we check out um, season two which will be in a separate podcast chapter seven the reckoning Directed by Deborah Chow, written by John Favreau. The Mandalorian res receives a message from Karga, whose town on Navarro has been overrun by the client's troops. Karga proposes that the Mandalorian uses the child as bait in order to kill the client and free the town. In return, Karga would ensure that the guild would stop hunting the Mandalorian and the child. Sensing a trap, the Mandalorian recruits Dunn and Quill. Sorry, I forgot how they pronounce this guy's name. Uh, Quill brings a rebuilt programmed IG-11 to protect the child. This was the uh, character originally played by Taika Waititi 
I think it, this was at the beginning of the season. I'm sorry, my memory's a little foggy from not having watched this in 10 months. Um, they have met Karga and his associates, but they are attacked by Minox. Karga is injured, and the child uses the Force to heal him. In return, Karga kills his associates and confesses his original plan to shoot the Mandalorian and take the child to the client. Instead, Karga pretends that Dune has captured the Mandalorian while Kuil returns the child to the ship. During the meeting, Moff Gideon's troops open fire on the building and the client, sorry, open fire on the building and kill the client. Trapping the Mandalorian, Karga, and Dune inside. Gideon arrives demanding the child outside. The troops, the two scout troops, intercept Kuil, killing him and taking the child. So, from what I can recall, like I said, this has been 10 months since I've actually seen this episode. Um, this was when they kicked it up a notch and... They decided to continue on with the story from being uh, kind of an episodic saga to like a serialized television show that we want to watch each episode that build on one another. What what I remember having a problem with in um, in the first few episodes were they would have this main storyline and then they would, you know, randomly just have this, you know, two or three plot lines uh, in the middle of the you know second or third episodes that would have nothing to do with uh, returning the child or, or you know the the pacing or the danger of it it just felt like very much I don't know just it's kind of hard to explain but it just felt like filler episodes in a way I don't I don't know if anyone else felt that way but they look generally amazing and. They're fun to watch in the moment, but because they probably only wrote, I don't know, like, what is this, an eight-episode series? It feels like four episodes have been dedicated to just filler, if I can remember correctly. I need to, I I admit, I might need to go back and rewatch a couple of them. Um, and those filler episodes, it's not like I disliked them. It's not like they didn't add to the plot or add any uh, interesting characters or anything like that or flesh out help, help flesh out our characters or anything I just really remember um, you know it having a strong opening strong second episode I believe and then it kind of just took a back seat to what we were really having uh, a, a real story about you know was it was the pacing really on par kind of thing um so yeah, um, let me continue on with this. For anyone that doesn't remember, which would be me, um, Kuil was kind of like the pig-looking guy, I think. Uh, he was in the first episode, and everybody really liked him because he, he really felt like he was um, helping the Mandalorian. Um, and he was a great part of the team, but he was kind of like, all right, this guy's kind of like, all right, he's probably going to go. Um, Gideon, that's... Uh, uh, damn, why can I not remember his name? Uh, Jean Carlo Esposito. Oh, yeah, not uh, should I do the uh, Jean Carlo Esposito? Ah, uh, no, give me 
two seconds. I should have had a little coffee before doing this. I would have been a lot more awake for this. That's, I, I woke up. I was like, I'm Mandalorian. Oh, God. I got to do it. Podcast. Find it. Record it. Oh, God. And now I can't remember it. <laughs> um, I don't know what that says about the show, though. You know, it obviously it could be me that I did not go back and rewatch it. I just haven't had time. A lot of personal stuff going on and, uh, you know, other podcasting stuff. I've been trying to get the October spookiness out, too. So forgive me for not being 100% on par. And again, my review is subject to change. You know, this is obviously what I'm just getting off of my chest right in the moment. Um, let me see what else we got about this episode season. Sorry, season one, episode seven the reckoning yeah like i really felt like the direction deborah chow brought was um was a solid pacing mixed with like exposition that didn't feel like exposition too much you know we were we were getting interesting stuff you know um so let me see all right let's just hop into eight because i just kind of i don't want to be rambling on for y'all um so, uh, chapter eight, redemption. All right. So, chapter eight, redemption, directed by Taika Waititi and John Favreau. Um, quick note: um, Deborah Chow, I believe, is still scheduled to be the director of the new Obi Wan series. I don't know, remember if I mentioned that yet, but <clears throat> here we go. IG-11 rescues the child from the scout troopers. This was one of my favorite scenes, to be honest. It was uh, well-written, and the way that it opens with the troopers, oh my gosh, like, hilarious. Gideon warns Karga, Dune, and the Mandalorian that uh, they will die if they do not hand over the child. IG-11 arrives and breaks the standoff. So, uh, what are we at? Um, IG-11 arrives and breaks the, breaks the standoff, but Gideon injures the Mandalorian. IG-11 is kind of like Deus Ex, uh, you know, Machina and a little bit. It's hard to argue that this guy can't do, or this robot can't do anything and basically saves the day. If we would have had him throughout the entire series, my goodness, half the uh, town stuff and people could have been saved in half the time. And I thought a lot of people had uh, guessed that he was going to come back, just not at the last episode. Okay. The Mandalorian sends the others through a sewer gate with the child to help find the Mandalorian enclave. While IG-11 removes his helmet to tend his head injury, um, this is when we first get to see Pedro Pascal without his he helmet on. And for what I'm hearing, he wasn't on set for uh, a chunk of the filming, but I honestly can't tell you how much, little or not. But if you think about it, like I, I'm pretty sure I said, you know, it's awesome having this big name actor um, supposedly behind the helmet. At least you get his voice, but you really don't know if it's actually him or not. Until they remove the helmet, and at least that's him for that scene. Um, joining the others, the Mandalorian finds the other Mandalorians dead or escaped. Except for the armorer. She tasks him to care for the child, discovers its origins, and return it to its kind. 
aka probably what's going to happen in season two. The armorer, armorer, it's hard to say, fashions the Mandalorian his own signet and gives him a jetpack, which uh, I think we've seen with like Boba Fett have a jetpack and whatnot. And the jetpacks are kind of cool in concept, but it's obviously. Just a little bit, uh, not cheesy, but if they don't do the CGI right, then it can be a little cheesy. Um, I think they did it right in this, though. The group is uh, ferried down an underground lava river, but are ambushed by stormtroopers. IG-11 self-destructs to kill them. And this whole scene was kind of uh, emotional for how little time we had with IG-11 if we had a little bit more time with him, it'd be like, my goodness, this was a pretty emotional episode. But he's such a awesome force when he's, you know, grabbing baby Yoda, saving him, um, putting him in, helping him from getting punched by these fucking assholes at the beginning. Um, <laughs> I was just like, I can't believe they did that. Um, it was some fucked up shit. So when we see IG-11 come in there and whoop some serious ass, um, that's what we like to see. And so at the very end, seeing IG-11 saying, you know, he's going to self-destruct, it's like, this really sucks, but it's hard to say that we can't get another IG-11 character or something uh, voiced by Taika Waititi again. Um, Gideon attacks in a TIE fighter, and the Mandalorian uses the jetpack to bring the craft down. The Moth secretly survives and cuts himself out of the starship with a dark saber. The Mandalorian leaves Navarro with the child while Cargo and Dune stay behind. Um, and so, this is kind of leaving us for Season 2. Hopefully we're going to see uh, maybe a little bit more origin story regarding um, uh, Baby Yoda. And he's probably not going to be called Baby Yoda after this. In my opinion, we're just calling him Baby Yoda. I mean, Yoda is the guy's name right it's, he's not he's not a yoda a yoda is not a species is it so we don't exactly know what the spe species of these baby yodas are so in theory we're not going to be calling i mean they've always been calling him the child they've, they've never officially been calling like disney's never officially called him the uh, uh baby yoda that's just kind of what the fans have taken on and so it's going to be very interesting to see the reception and, uh, you know, the, I always thought the puppetry on this and mixed with the CGI worked phenomenally well on this television show, which shows that it's going to be great for, um, it's, it, it, hopefully it's going to be great for years to come that the CGI won't age, you know, uh, bad to, to an extent, at least for the baby Yoda scenes. Um, and we, he may not even be called Baby Yoda after after this season. So, um, yeah, I have not seen season two yet. I had mixed feelings a little bit on how they ended uh, uh, the moth. I was like, all right, he's clearly going to live. This was It was a little bit too easy for them to... Um, I know they had to, like, escape from uh, Precinct 13 kind of style, but having, like, the, the fleet return and everything it just was a little bit obvious in a way um but yeah so what else do we have uh i think that's just about it um carl weathers was awesome to have as uh what's it called as a uh, uh, carga 
Um, honestly, the lineup, you know, um, I, I have heard a little bit of the stuff that, uh, what's her name, Dune has said, um, Gina Carina has said, so I'm going to put that to the side, not going to say anything about that, but um, I I am very impressed by the uh, amount of stars they have in this, and, you know, having Pedro Pascal's voice, having the, uh, you know, um, what's it called, practical effects, having awesome direction, and then having John Favreau's voice. John Favreau has really um, captured my attention more recently just as a, uh, you know, he's kind of like a Swiss Army knife. He kind of does a little bit of everything. You know, he was like way back in uh, The Replacements. He was just like a, a side star that kind of played like a, a dumb a dumb football guy, and then he turns into a writer, and then he turns into a little bit of a director, and then we find him eventually in Iron Man. Um, creating this Tony Stark character, and he really took off the. Um, he, he he. I think he was one of the biggest sparks for um, Marvel, to be honest. And so they've taken his voice, and we've seen him on um, stuff uh, other other Disney properties, such as like I think it's like Disney's Jungle Book. Did he do the Jungle Book? And then he did. Uh, oh, what did he do else? I mean, he's he's done tons of uh disney stuff disney related properties and now he's been brought over to um uh, mandalorian and he's he's helped fleshing out uh multiple properties is what i'm saying this guy's very valuable asset to disney so let's see what they do for season two i don't think i have too much more to say the, uh, the like the cinematography like i said is pretty damn good for a streaming television show it uh definitely puts it's it's one of the big television shows that puts Disney on the map, and so how could you not, you know, tune in if you have Disney Plus? This is the the show to tune into, mostly because Star Wars is such a major branch of uh, brand of Disney now, and so they're just gonna keep on hitting that well until they've absolutely. Uh, exhausted it, but there's nothing wrong with that as long as they're coming up with original storytelling, in my opinion, and bringing these um, different and interesting voices, um, unique, interesting voices, um, storytelling devices on. So, yeah, thank you for listening, watching Lucky Dog Podcast. I'm going to try to be a little bit more concise next time because I kind of was like, I was fighting to get, <laughs> I was fighting to find my audio files. The the Mandalorian popped out of nowhere. And I, I'm normally, normally a little bit more um, detailed in my notes when I have, uh, have them written down. But I, I just was like, what is going on? You know, I, I just, I was, season two is today. Oh my God. You know, <laughs> I was, I was freaking out. So um, hopefully this is a little bit of a, a roundup. Sorry if it was a little bit jumbled up. Uh, I'll definitely do a little bit better trying to get a little bit more concise on that. Like I said, it's a overall really fun television show. It's uh, it's something nice to get like lost in for a couple of, uh, I think it's week to week. So if it's another eight episodes on season two, then it'll be about another eight weeks. Um, but yeah, so thank you for listening, watching Look It All Podcast. If you'd like to support, we have a new Patreon page. Um, three tiers. First tier, you can get retro reviews, past movies uh, that are older than five years. You're going to have all the retro reviews ready for you. 
Tier two, you're going to get early podcasts. You're going to have early access to the master podcasts that are on SoundCloud. And you're going to get uh, full access to um, the retro reviews as well. And then tier three, we're going to have the entire library of the Lucky Dog podcast reviews ready. That's the retro reviews. That's the an animated uh, show reviews, um, show reviews on animated shows. And it's going to have the entire uh, library of the Lucky Dog podcast. So you'll be able to check, what is this, like two, three years of podcasts, over 400 podcasts. So be sure to check the Patreon out. It, it helps helps us keep the lights on and um, keep us rolling um, on a river or whatever that saying is. I I, I, I kind of fucked that up. But yeah, <laughs> you already know. Um, at Lucky Dog podcast, listen live at Lucky Dog Podcast on Twitch. Get it early on YouTube um, and Patreon now. And, uh, yeah, get it mastered on SoundCloud. Thank you for listening, watching Lucky Dog Podcast. I take it easy. Don't you agree?